now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. 2233, I'm on 10 again. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. Per usual, I'm Ja, and that's Troy. And on today's episode, we're just kind of going to debrief some of, I guess, what makes us us. And a big part of us is, for me personally, at least, my business sense. I went to Purdue University and I got a degree in selling and sales management. Um, and as you'll hear throughout this episode, I've had some business ventures from the past, things that I've done, and I think it's kind of made me, you know, par- partially made me who I am. Um, I want to just ask you, is, I mean, was, was business something you, in terms of just, you know, making deals, sales, whatever it may be, was that something that was a part of you as a young, you know, kid, or do you think you developed that later on? For me, it was... I always wanted, I just always had ideas and I, you know, I wanted to, you know, let's go try something. Let's try this. And it wasn't always necessarily business, but ideas. And I, you know, was willing to take the chance and the risk to try it. Uh, My first little, I guess, endeavor was a paper route. So when I was young, I had a paper route. I would ride my bike um, down Indio Boulevard. It was a trailer park and I would throw the paper. So that was my first, and I like, you know, having a little money in my pocket. So that was always good. I can, you know, well, I couldn't necessarily do it on my own time, but it was a little more flexible. It probably took me 30, 45 minutes to throw the paper. And then, you know, I got a paycheck. So that always stuck with me is that I don't want to be sitting in someone else's office, you know, wasting my time, you Mm -hmm. know, although I'm doing work, you know, that has always been one of the things that has kind of made me step out and explore different options. So um, I just like my freedom, you know? So it wasn't always for me about the money. It was more so my freedom. I wanna be able to take my day and do what I wanna do. And I needed money to do that. And so um, it has allowed me to take those risks. Although I'm not, you know, an entrepreneur at this point of doing anything entrepreneurial, you know, I'm always looking for something to do to where I can free myself up and my time to do the things that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, for me, it's, it's somewhat of the same. I think number one was at a very young age, I think younger than a lot of the kids around me, I understood the value of money. And not that, you know, I remember I remember distinctly at probably like kindergarten or something. I was like, I was happy I got some money. And somebody said, you know, money can't buy you happiness. And I remember just sticking with me like, yeah, it, it can't but it can solve a lot of issues for you. And, and in that way you can, you, call, you know, solve a lot of headaches and that can lead to you being a little happier. So not that having money will, you know, make you just happy right off the bat, but it definitely solves a lot of problems. I put it that way. Hey, I'll try, I'll try to, I'll try to, trying to be happy with money as opposed to without it. Right. Um, and so I think at a young age, I understood the value of it. And I was like, well, I need to get this to, to, alleviate the headaches I have to, you know, have the things that I want to buy, the things that I want to do. And most importantly, I think I've always been a person who wanted to experience the world while I'm here. So the best way to do that is to travel, you know, try different things. And whether it's good or bad, the world we live in, everything like that costs. Um, Yeah. And second of all, I think, I think I did always have a, 
just a, a knack for wanting to persuade people, wanting to argue, <laughs> something that I yeah. love to do. But, Absolutely. you know, being able to persuade somebody that, hey, this is something you need, go ahead, buy it off of me. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've always enjoyed making deals or, or that kind of, I wouldn't say heat of battle, but, you know, I mean, that kind of mental mind game of I'm trying to persuade you and you either trying not to be persuaded or you open to it, we'll see. Um, and so I think I've always enjoyed that since I was a young, young child too. Yeah. Well, that never was a big, big deal to me. Me, I just always wanted my, my freedom. Yeah. And I looked at people who had jobs and they, you know, they always complaining. And I'm like, I'd never understood the rationale, even though I did it, go to school so you can get a good job. And I'm like, I don't want a job. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go and work with somebody else. And that was always in my back of my mind. I just was, I guess I didn't focus enough in on the business aspect and taking classes and doing things. It was like, because money wasn't ever really something that I, I had a real drive to get. It was just, I wanted my time. And if I had, I think at the time, if I had a mentor or somebody who can kind of give me some direction, you know, I might've might made some different choices. But I knew it was just like my time, and I just don't want to spend my time, you know, working for somebody else. You know, and even majority of my life, that's what I've done. You know, it's always been, and it still is, my objective to to do my own thing and and, and live out my days doing the things that I want to do. Um, I'll always do something. You know, even when people talk about retiring, I'll always be busy doing something. But I want it to be something that I'm passionate about, and something that I love doing opposed to making somebody else wealthy or rich, which uh, I think I've done in some instances and I'm a little disappointed in myself. <laughs> and it's funny because I think another, as I sit here and think about it, another reason that I've always um, liked money, and I've, I've been viewed as greedy with money before, uh, very cheap and as you have too. But um, <laughs> I think I was a very lazy kid Yes. And what I learned was that people with money can be lazy, right? You don't have to do much if your bills are paid. I mean, you know what I mean? I think you find a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, love the grind type of thing. They end up not being lazy just because that's not who they are per se. And they work hard and they're out and they're, you know, doing whatever. But I, I realized they have that option. <laughs> and and yeah. I always want that option. You know what? I don't feel like going in today do I need that paycheck? And if the answer is no, then you don't have to go, right? Yeah. Um, if you have the money, you can pay your bills and you can live comfortably. And so that's always what I wanted was to be, I've always wanted to be well off. And, and not, we didn't grow up, I didn't grow up poor by any means, but I always knew that I wanted to have enough money to where I didn't have to worry about that. I feel like there's so many other things in this world to be concerned about or think about that, you know, where I'm going to eat or sleep should seem like, a, you know, that's just should be second nature and basic. And so for me, that's where I've always had the attraction to money, if that makes sense. And I know that doesn't sound good, like, but I don't think I'm attracted to money. I'm attracted to what money can get me. Yeah. That makes so sense. for you, I want to I want to now jump into I have I think we have plenty of stories, some of our most memorable business ventures, you know, things we've done. I mean, I'm only 22 years old, but I have a few stories on a very small scale, but I know you've also done things on a larger scale in terms of trying to break into that space, that entrepreneurial space, that, you know, certain business ventures, whether they went well or they didn't. Um, let's hear, let's hear 
whatever story you feel like sharing right now, I know you have plenty. Oh man. Yeah, when I was fresh out of college, again, because, and I didn't, didn't wasn't really interested in sales, but you know, I went to this job there and you know, a guy approached me and hey, you know, I went to the booth and he was, you know, talking to me and saying, you know, I'm just, this is a sales job and it was selling text code. Basically, it's the stuff you put on your house so that you wouldn't have to repaint it, like stucco. Okay. And so you'd put it on the house and basically you wouldn't have to paint your house again. You know, so I did that for about a couple of weeks. And I was like, yeah, I, this, I, this is not what I want to do. I'm trying to convince people that they need text code. You know, selling products for 50000 you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. That wasn't a small item. And, you know, after, you know, going to houses and calling people, cold calling, it just be like, nah, this, you know, if I had a better product or something I can believe in, you know, yeah. this might work for me. But I'm just, I just got into it because I, I needed a job or I needed to make some money. And I said, no, nah, that's not, that's not good for me. Did you make, did you complete a single sale? You know, I, I had one, but it kind of fell through. I was like <laughs> there. And after that, I said, you know what? This ain't for me. I had another job selling. I don't know how I was getting the sales and I really am not big on sales, but where I needed money. One thing I did, I was in LA. I was, I sold incense. <laughs> so I, you know how you got the brothers on the corner? I said, you know what, if they could do it. You know, I see and I go, you know, spend some money and I start seeing these brothers with money in their pocket. I'm like, let me try that out. So I went in there and got on the corner. You know, I sold a couple and the next thing I know, the cot roller. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, you know, you have a permit? I said, no, nah, I didn't know I needed a permit. <laughs> He said, well, you can't be selling these out here. And then he took my incense, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was hot, you know. So that kind of, uh, you know, broke up my career in selling incense. <laughs> and I had another job where I did sales, where it was in between jobs. I had stopped, you know, I was in between and I was like, I just needed to do something. So I was looking through the paper. And you know, I had, it had those ads that kind of come up and you know, they really enticing so you can make X amount of dollars a week. I said, this sounds good. You don't need any degree and all that kind of stuff, even though I had a degree. So I went out, this was selling paintings door to door. So <laughs> I was going down, you know, different business districts, in the corridors, and I had these paintings. You would get a handful of them every day and you would go and say, hey, you know, I got this painting, Van Gogh and all the different artists. And they were probably five, 10 bucks. They weren't very expensive. And my first day when I went out and I made like, you know, a couple of hundred bucks, I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, I can do this for a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, different districts you go through, you kind of have good days and then you have them bad days. And I had more bad days than good days. And I said, <laughs> it's time for me to find something a little more steady of a paycheck. And so, um, so that was, those are some of the things that I've done. And like I said, I always, for some reason, end up in sales and I don't consider myself a salesman, but I guess if I had something that I believed in, you know, I can influence someone to try it or, or, or you know, take a shot at it. But the, those are some of the, the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I have probably a dozen more, uh -huh. uh, but I don't know if we had that kind of time to go into all my uh, business endeavors. <laughs> what about yeah, you? I I think it's funny um, when I think about sales and obviously I was a sales major. I, I don't, I think I could sell, I can probably sell anything fairly well. Um, 
but you're right about the whole idea of if you have a product you're more passionate about, then that's a, it's, it's, it's way easier to sell. Um, and I've seen that. I think I did a sales competition at Purdue and I did really well in it. And I remember the company was like, you know, we'd have openings for next year and da 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 da. And I said, absolutely not. I was like, I was selling, I believe it was like the manufacturer line, these small little automators, these little tiny pieces that they would need probably like a hundred bucks a pop. And I was like, I would, I would just be miserable if I was doing this every day. I couldn't speak with any passion about it. I was just, you know what I mean? I was able to do it for the competition, but if after about a month, yeah. And I, and even though, even if I was making great money, I, you've taught me, I, it's not, it's one thing to have money. It's another thing to enjoy what you do. Um, and money, once again, I mean, it comes back full circle. Money doesn't buy you happiness. Um, it doesn't, but it, it does solve problems. But if how you're right. getting that money makes you miserable, then you creating problems getting something that's going to solve a problem. So it's kind of a, you know, circular argument, but if you can get money doing something you love, which I think is everyone's hopefully their goal, then, you know, you should be doing a lot better. Um, for me personally, I, when I think about some of my earliest business ventures, man, I, <laughs> I think about the, the first time I probably ever, as far as I can remember, was kindergarten. And I don't know, I, I don't remember if they called you guys or not, but I got in trouble at school actually. And what I got in trouble for was me and a couple of friends. It was me, Anthony, and this kid named Thomas. And we were playing a game. It was basically tag, but it, we called it killer because he would act like a killer as opposed to, you know, just tag. And so it made it, you know, kind of heightened the excitement. Like, oh man, you know, this dude is acting like a killer. Like, this is kind of crazy. We just run around the jungle gym and that was it. It was just us three. And I remember this girl saying, can I play with you guys? And Anthony was mean, I ain't gonna lie, he was a mean kid. He said, no. And so she was like, I'll pay you $5. And so Anthony said, no again. And I said, well, well hold on, Anthony. <laughs> Let's think about this here now. You know what I mean? If she willing to pay, we might let her in to play. And so that became a thing. And I probably had about three or four kids every day coming to bring me $5 to play that game with us. <laughs> me, I split, I give Anthony and uh, Thomas their little cut, man. And we were going about our business. We was rich when it came to the ice cream, man. And then I think it probably about four or five days in, I think some parents probably noticed like, why do you keep taking this $5 to school and don't come back with nothing. And so I remember the teacher pulled me out of class and I went to the principal's office and it was funny because as he was, you know, I guess I was in trouble. I could tell, I remember, I remember Principal Carlquist. I, I could tell he was a little impressed. He was kind of like, wow, like he was really, <laughs> you really thought that far ahead on it. Huh? He was asking me questions like, well, what what were they paying you? Well, how much? In it? And he was get, getting into it. And at a certain point, I was like, am I still in trouble? And he was like, oh yeah, you got detention for a couple of days or something, but. Yeah, yeah, they didn't call us on that. We didn't know about that one. Yeah, and so, but it, I mean, funnily, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Hey. For me, this is America, ain't it? Atlanta, <laughs> hey, what they do with their money is what they do with their money. I, I don't know where they was getting it from. Um, but as far as I can remember, that's really probably the earliest, you know, business, you know, mind that I had or that kind of, that driver, like I saw an opportunity and I just attacked it. Um, man, what next? Later down the road in middle school, couple things I did in middle school was one and this kind of was the first time I, I it was a kind of an eye-opening experience was in the was it I don't know what year of school it was but basically what it was was you had to sell 
they had these boxes of chocolate bars that you could, they were giving to each kid. And it was about 50 chocolate bars in each box. And they said, well, you go sell them each for a dollar, bring back the money. And if you sold five boxes, then you got to go to Washington DC and New York. It was a Washington DC and New York trip. And I was like, you know, I want to go on this trip. And so I, um, you know, I was pretty good. I was able to sell my boxes at church around the neighborhood to other kids in school were buying them. You know, they just like chocolate and stuff. Um, and I saw my five boxes quick, like done. And I was like, there was, and so I was like, well, I mean, I got the trip now, so I should be done. But they were like, well, there's a prize for if you sell the most. And so I was like, I don't even remember what the prize was, but I was like, well, I guess I might as well keep going, you know, might as well try to get the prize. So I ended up selling like 12 boxes, man. And I probably made up a whole nother kid's trip. Um, but I remember distinctly every time I sold and finished a box, you know, I had to take the $50. I had a wad of ones and I was just looking at it like, man, I could, I could do something with this ones, but I had to go give it to the teacher. And so I remember being like, you know, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of giving the money back after I make it. <laughs> and so I remember what that led to was the small snack chip Takis. <laughs> and I know you remember this one pretty well. Now you had one before the Takis. The Takis was the one that actually. We're was. not going to get into the other one. The Takis. <laughs> no, so we got to We got We got to get into the Gucci juice. <laughs> you want to explain it or you want me to tell it? That was okay. That was my marketing. That was my marketing genius right there. Right. So basically what I would do is I remember how it started. One day at lunch, I had a blue Gatorade and somebody, one of my friends had a yellow Gatorade. And so we both drank like half of them. And we were just like, we were just like messing around, like, let's combine and see what they taste like. And I remember we combined it, shook it up and, and turned green. And I was like, I had never seen green Gatorade and it tasted just like Gatorade, really. You know, it was just two Gatorades combined. But I remember thinking to myself, man, and I remember kids was like, what is that? Like, they was asking us, you got a green Gatorade? Like, how did you? And so, you know, the other kid probably didn't think much of it, but I was like, oh, no, y'all, let me see something here. So I remember <laughs> I went to uh, Walmart. I think I had some money saved up or y'all might have bought it for me. And I just bought two, three or four big things of blue and yellow Gatorade. And I combined them into a, a big jug and I put them back into the individual cups because, you know, it worked out perfectly fine. And it was green. I ripped the label off and I put the Gucci uh, logo on the bottle with a Sharpie. And I went to school the next day, man. I was I sold out. I sold out of my bottles of Gucci juice. They was loving it. But the problem with that was the profit margin wasn't there. So I, I had to leave that one alone. Plus, I probably would have gotten in trouble because I was selling Gatorade that I yeah. mixed at my house. That probably wasn't the best. But then I was like, well, I need something because I was I had I had the bug. I had the itch. <laughs> and so I remember in uh, eighth grade now I had I had went to we were at Walmart and I saw a bag of Takis, which is a small snack chip. And it came in 25 smaller individual bags in a bag of 25 and it was ten dollars. And so I was like, you know, I did some quick math in my head. I said, if I sold those for a dollar a piece, every kid comes to school with a dollar, you know. If I sold those for a dollar a piece, that's $25. I come back, spend another 10, and I make another 20. I said, that's, that's, a good, that's a good profit margin. I didn't know what profit margin was at the time, but I knew that was, <laughs> that was making more money than you were spending, and that means that's, that's good. And so I started doing that. I took it to school in a little bag. And uh, I was, it was like I was selling drugs, man. Kids would come to me with their dollar, man. I'm reaching the bag, giving them their <laughs> bag of Takis. They give me my dollar. And I remember at one point, man, I think somebody almost tried to rob me. I was walking around with like $150 in singles, man. I just had a big old wad of cash. I will never forget that, man. At one point, I think I paid the security guard like $10 for him to not stop me selling. 
and I, gave, I had to give him I had to give him a couple talkies every now and again just in case. Yeah, man, I, that was uh that one right there was probably my most extensive. Didn't they sell talkies on campus? Didn't they have a vending machine that sold them? Yeah, but you know the vending machine upsold. It was like a dollar fifty, and then those vending machines would always be out too, and you'd have to wait till the next week for somebody to come refill them. Hey, I was I was ready. I was there. So, so you learned how to you know pay off the pay off the enforcers, <laughs> keep them happy, keep them off you. At a certain point, what at a certain point I had a sixth grader. He was like, man, how much money are you making? He was you know he was asking too many questions. So I said, well, you want to make some? So what I started doing with him is I would bring him the takis. And then he was selling them and I, he would come to me at the end of the day and bring me the money. And then I'd break him off, I think about 15, no 10, I'd break him off uh, 10 of it. And then I would take the other 15, I spent 10. And so I was bringing in double income. So <laughs> yeah, it was pretty extensive, man. And, and I remember at one point I was gonna expand, like it was a few other sixth graders <laughs> that came up to me and wanted to do it. But I was like, nah, this is getting too much, man. And I think that was the time we was getting ready to do. So I was like, this is getting too much, but. Yeah, man. You expand your ventures. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. I was I was ready for growth. I was ready for expansion. Oh man. I think one of the investments, one of the things I did that I really kind of caught me and, and got me into things I'm doing now was real estate. You know, and bought my first piece of property. Um it was I was probably about 25, 26. It was I remember explicitly it was a it was a fourplex. It was in Palmdale. I mean, it was in an area where every other house was abandoned but we got it at such a good price it was really about we got it for fourplex for about sixty nine thousand. we went in we, we did some rehab fixed it up got it rented out and it was it was making a profit and i was like man problem is you know was i was invested and i had other people that was involved and after we split the money it was like you know we should have thought let's keep investing yeah but we didn't you know, we I guess we kind of got sideways on things and we just kind of went our own separate ways. But that was the one thing that I always said, man, real estate. So I had some really good deals that I made and then I had some that that didn't go according to plan. Yeah. But it's always something that I looked at and say, this is this is the way I know I'm going to make money and I'm going to be involved in this on some level. And that's really how I got involved in, you know, community economic development things that I do now with uh, construction with um, buying properties, rehabbing, um, renovating, and those type of things. Because I just like that, being able to take something and not only make money, but to fix it up, to change how it looks and have people be able to utilize it and, and share in that, that experience. So that was the thing that really kind of captured me. And I've always said, you know, I'm gonna do something that's involved real estate. I'll do other things that in terms of investments, but in terms of things that I do on a daily basis, it'll have some involvement with real estate and those type of transactions. And, you know, so that's, that's another one that I had. Um, the other, the last venture I had, it was a big one. And uh, for those who know me, know us, <laughs> it was the go-kart, the indoor <laughs> go-kart facility. And it was a huge complex situation that, you know, it took us about six, seven years to really kind of, you know, get the, get the money, uh, investments to do it. And it just, man, we had a bad landlord and then we kind of made a bad decision on the, the, the lease agreement to start out with. And it just, it, it went backwards from there. You know, it, it was, we had a chance of, of really making it happen. 
but the landlord was just basically a creep. And um, he, he, he really did some things that set us back. And, and looking back, had we, you know, myself been a little more astute on certain things, you know, we could have, we could have, we could have made it happen and, and forced the landlord to, to do the right things. But, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, so those are some of the, the, the adventures that I've had. And, you know, as a small business entrepreneur, salesman, and, you know, some of the other stuff that I've done. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's been a good experience. It's been a learning experience. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you bring up real estate. Cause I remember some of the earliest, I mean, you know, I, I, when I was a little kid, I feel like I asked you a million questions every day, but luckily you was patient enough to answer most of them. And I remember asking you a lot about real estate and houses and stuff, because that's what you did every day. And so, you know, I'd go to work with you sometimes. And I remember asking you questions. I remember learning about equity. And I was mm -hmm. like, it was such a weird concept to me. I was like, you mean to me, tell me this thing can increase in value and you not doing nothing. And that kind of taught me about passive income and just, mm -hmm. you know, that idea of making money while you sleep. And I said, I like that. Like the, <laughs> the idea that I can be sleep and I'm still making money, you know, the, the idea of investing money forward. I think that's something that I've always tried to do even now, you know what I mean? Bought, bought stocks at such a young age and stuff like that. Um, that idea has stuck with me for a very long time. Um, so you've kind of talked about how, you know, your past business ventures have gotten you what's gotten you into what you're doing today. Um, things you learned at a young age, gotten you what's in today. But it's funny for me. I mean, obviously I haven't gotten into my career per se. Um, but I, like I said, I've, I think what I want to get into, the reason that it makes sense for me is once again, I have a knack for business. I've always been good at, you know, deal making and, you know, the kind of going back and forth, whether it be negotiations. And I like the idea of making money a lot. And so when we're talking about, you know, this, the business of sports, I think that's, that hits home for me, right? I love sports. So that's, I guess, a product that I can, I'm, I'm very passionate about. I know I'm knowledgeable about, I'm very passionate about. So being around it all day, having to sell it won't be more much of a task. It'll be kind of second nature for me. You know, I could talk about basketball all day long anyway. So why not make it something that's my job? Right. Uh, uh, actually just remembered about flipping phones too. I remember I was doing that for a while where I was fixing up, I would buy old phones off eBay that were, you know, broken in a very minor way. The screen was cracked or something. I buy a new screen for two, $3, fix it up and sell it back on eBay. But that one was too much work in terms of fixing those phones. So that didn't last long either. But no, I, what about uh, the sneakers? I mean, that's something you kind of still do now, right? Yeah. So the thing about the sneaker game, as, as people probably can tell you, is it's become so tough to, to make profit unless you are extremely dedicated to it. Uh, actually, there was a scandal just a couple of weeks ago that this kid, his mom was the uh, general manager for Nike's Northwest Division the so entire um, continent of Northern America. And basically what he was doing is through her, he was able to get hundreds of pairs of sneakers that hadn't been released yet or were limited release, which means that not everybody can get them. They don't just release them in stores. They mm -hmm. release them on their app. He was able to get hundreds of pairs where everybody else, you know, me, the common person, I have to go in there and enter the raffle and just hope that I get one. And nobody was ever getting one. And, you know, everybody was complaining, like we're never getting one. Well, this kid, because of his mom, he was getting hundreds of pairs and he's upcharging, you know, 300, 400%. 
Um, so luckily for me, I, you know, I've gotten a few pairs of shoes, um, you know, just here and there, whether I got lucky and was able to hit on the app or I just found deals on Instagram or something, bought them and, you know, held them for, you know, whatever decent amount of time and the equity went in them was good. The value of them went up and I was able to sell them for more. Um, but like I said, it's just been, it's tough to really, really get into that because of how difficult it is to get your hands on shoes nowadays. Yeah, I, that's one thing I just is still I I see it, but I just can't grasp, you know, buying sneakers for thousand dollars, five hundred bucks. Well, I don't understand how you can't grasp that, but people buying designer T-shirts and designer. Yeah, I don't you know, I don't grasp that either. I mean, well, I know they do it. Even when what I do with with construction, I look at what it costs to do some of these things, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, we we built the part. You got some playground equipment, you got a restroom, some jungle gym, some exercise equipment. I said, I don't understand where three, four million, five million dollars went. You know, yeah. I'm just looking at this and I'm just, even though I do it, it's hard for me to really grasp that amount of money when I look at that finished product, when I look at the end result. And not that it's not nice, it just seems like everything is in the ground. And the average person would go look at a park and say, there's some grass, there's maybe a baseball field, a soccer field, maybe a basketball court. And that couldn't be more than a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand. You say, yeah, that's just getting started. Yeah. So for me, I, I guess I just grew up in a day and age where things were so inexpensive. So even now when I see it, it's hard to really wrap my mind around that amount of money and how it's being you know, uh, well, distributed. I think it's funny because that that kind of is something that I've thought about a lot and the idea of creating value, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Which is what a salesman is trying to do. They're trying to at least convince you that there is value in this product, whatever I'm selling. You need this or you want it or it's going to make your life better, make whatever. And what the big corporations, Nike, Adidas, Puma have done a great job of is making you feel like this shoe is going to make you more accepted, more liked. You go, whether you're a guy, you're going to get more women or you're a girl, you are going to attract more, you know, whatever it may be. They've, and the way they do that is, you know, appealing to authority, right? My favorite basketball player, my favorite celebrity, my favorite actor, rapper, whoever is wearing this shoe. And somehow Nike's through marketing does a great job of making the connection that if you wear this shoe, you might be a little bit more like your favorite athlete, rapper, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and not that that's necessarily the case for me. I think like anybody else, I probably, um, you know, fall in victim to that a little bit, but I honestly do enjoy them as kind of like pieces of art, which is why for me, you rarely see me wear my very nice shoes that I have very rarely that I wear them because if they are art for me, I don't want to mess them up. Um, but you know, obviously I pay for them. So I wear them every now and again, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting industry as a whole. And I think it is kind of a little out there, but I th I don't think it's any different than some of the other things you see people spending money on. Yeah, it's, it's just counterintuitive to me, you know, cause we would, I would wear a shoe down. I mean, and <laughs> we would get shoes and you know, you didn't get a whole lot. So what we wore, when we got done wearing them shoes, we needed a new pair. It yeah. wasn't like we could save them and resell them. I mean, cause when we got done with them, they was, they was for trash. Well, that's the same. I mean, but even then, I, I can't think of many designer sneakers at your time or even the basketball shoes. I know Michael or Magic and uh, Bird had the Converse at some point in the 80s, right? Yeah, you had the Dr. J's, the, the Shell Toe Adidas. You had the mm -hmm. Suede Puma. So there were some shoes that were, you know, for our day, that was pretty um, high end. 
yeah. uh, nice looking, uh, what we would consider designer, but we just didn't look at it as something that we would collect. You know, you had different people who had various, a variety of shoes and they would wear them and have all these different outfits. But I never looked at it. And I think most people in that day didn't see those as collector items and things that you would sell or resell or use and trade, you know, so you may well, borrow your buddy's shoes or something, but not sell them. It wasn't <laughs> as widely accepted. I do think it was already beginning there. I know I was watching a documentary about sneakers and in the early 80s, even late 70s, like you said, those shell toes and um, some of those shoes that Run DMC was wearing or right. other rappers and basketball players were wearing off court and stuff. People were already starting to kind of make that movement. I just don't think it was as widespread as it is today yeah. because I don't think the companies were trying to capitalize on it as much as they have, you know, are they, are they are, as they are today. You know, even with Michael or even with Magic and Larry Bird, those weren't, it technically wasn't their shoe. It was still just a Converse yeah. sneaker. Whereas today you got, you know, Jordan shoes, LeBron shoes, Kobe shoes, Kevin Durant. So it gives yeah, them- They were the weapons, actually. They were the weapons, they would call that. And then Dr. J before them, you know, I always wanted a pair of those. They're, yeah. they're the white with the red um, Converse logo on them. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, Dr. J, that was, that was my shoes. I never got a pair. <laughs> but see, what? imagine if all of your friends were trying to get those too and, or had them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then they would have been probably a little more of like, I need these now. Now, well, whether, they, Nan, whether well, Nan would have got them for yeah, you, I don't that know. that was the point. I, I thought I needed them, but... But I mean, like, yeah. but that's the thing, right? Is you, I mean, you haven't bought me a lot of the shoes that I have now. I just go out, obviously, you know, whether I make my own money or do certain things, I go out and I'm trying to get them. You know what I mean? Because that's important to me. Whereas I don't think it was as important to you guys back then to have, you know, the shoes that you looked at and you said, these are cool. Yeah, no, nah, I mean... <laughs> we, we just roll with what we had <laughs> but no i think you know back to what i was talking about in terms of the way that's my past business ventures things that i've mentioned you know throughout this show have impacted what i want to do like i said i was able to combine those two passions of the business of sports or the business side of my you know my brain wanting to work that way and sports which is what i've always loved playing analyzing talking about it you know viewing stats so on and so forth and then probably, you know, other influence that I think I've talked about in the past is cousin Tony. Uh, he was a general manager for the Angels and just seeing, you know, what he was able to do and how being around sports all day, it didn't feel like a job. You know what I mean? I was I was with him all day and he was doing his job, but it was like this dude's just at the ballpark. You know, he's watching the baseball game. And, you know, don't get me wrong. He probably everybody has those days where they're like, I don't want to go get up and do this job. But I think if you can do something you're passionate about, it'll feel a lot less like a job. If you can take something that you love doing and make it your job, it'll feel less like a job. And I remember you saying that to me when I was younger. Um, and so I think that's something that I've carried with me. And even when, you know, I was in school, grade school or whatever the case may be, that was something that I took with me too. I didn't necessarily have to love the product at the time because it wasn't my full-time job, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it always felt like, okay, I'm doing something that I enjoy because it was the business side of things. And so now if I can really be passionate about what I'm selling, then it only heightens my excitement for it. And so, yeah, man, I think uh, that's, 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 um, that's a good episode for today, man. I think we, we broke down obviously a lot of interesting stories, um, things that have gotten us to the point to where we are now. Um, and, and I think that gives us, a, gives probably our audience and people that know us a little insight into who we are and why we're doing what we're doing today. I didn't get into the details of it, 
but you know it even stems back because i think uh my grandfather your great-grandfather louis strange was one of the first black business owners in the city of indio and then we had a great 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 uncle uh, john nobles who came out from i think kansas city and he settled what they called the john nobles ranch in indio where he bought and i don't know how exactly he got it at the time but he had about 20 acres of land or so in which he settled and as black individuals and families moved to the area he would either lease land to them or sell it to them so that they can set up and uh, their homes and have their um, farms or whatever they did uh, and so I think it's just one of those things that I think is in the blood just yeah. trying to always do something to, 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 to provide that that self-sufficiency that freedom to where you know we're at the point where we can call our own shots and i yeah. guess that's the thing for me is i've always wanted to call my own shots not in the sense that i just wanted to be you know contrary and, and difficult or i didn't want to have anybody that i'd had to listen to but i just always felt like you know as a man i should be able to do what i want to do when i want to do it and not have to answer to someone else dictating what i do how much i make what i can afford you know, so those kind of things is always really I've wrestled with. And, you know, I've always kind of been sort of an outcast in that way because many people around me, for the most part, you know, hey, go get a job, work nine to five, take care of your family, you good. And it just, you know, for me, it was just, and it's still one of those things. It's like, I, I got to have my freedom because I want to do things that, that help people, particularly in our communities. When I'm working for someone else, it makes it difficult to help people in the way that I want to. And I like what I do now, but it's not something that I'm overly passionate about. It's, you know, not something that's fulfilling. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty good at it, but it's just one of those things where, you know, I want to be able to make my day, schedule my day how I want it to be. And so that's always been a part of my, you know, drive and ambition to do business. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, ne I didn't even realize that that was kind of in our bloodline. Business is in the blood. Um, and yeah, same for me. I've, I think I've always wanted to have enough money to make an impact on the world as well, you know, in terms of ha having millions and millions of dollars to be able to do things that I think are important to help make this world a better place. And so that's probably one of the driving forces is me for me as well. Um, so yeah, man, I think uh, for today's episode, that's going to do it. Um, Appreciate everybody for tuning in once again. I hope you enjoyed some of those stories that we gave and, you know, things that experience that we shared with you guys. And once again, as always, we appreciate you for tuning in and make sure you tune in next time. Peace. All right. That'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now, you know, peace.